You're listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host, Sean Dietrich. This week we're coming to you live from the Summer County Christmas Tree Line. That music here behind me is the Red Cedar Review. Aaron Firetag on the mandolin, Brad Edwardson on the guitar, Jonathan Gray on bass, Stephen Sandifer on percussion, Derek Deacons playing the string fiddle. was the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that Nick Saban would soon be there. The children were all nestled snug in their beds while visions of the Alabama-Auburn game replayed in their heads. And Mom on her Facebook and I on my phone had just settled down into a bed of our own. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, threw open the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wandering eyes should appear? But a miniature sleigh pulled by Alabama's best starting quarterback in the history of mankind, Jalen Hurts. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be Coach Nick. More rapid than eagles, his courses they came as he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Scarborough, now Hurts, now Harris, now Ridley, on Davis, on Brown, and Minka Fitzpatrick. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. And then, in the twinkling of an eye, I heard on the roof the worst defensive plays that I have ever seen in my entire damn life. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney, Nick Saban came with a bound. He was dressed in all crimson from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished in ashes and soot. His eyes They were angry, and his face was absurd. His cheeks were like roses, and he was saying very, very bad words. He had a broad face and a headset mic, and his blood pressure was so high he might not make it through the night. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work. He filled all our stockings, then turned with a jerk, and laying a finger alongside his nose and giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, and to his team he gave a shout. But it made no difference, for we were going down for the count. But I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all, and War Eagle. Ticket 
South Carolina's own Red Cedar Review. It was Christmas, and the town came alive for Christmas. I can't be positive, but if you ask me, I believe that long ago, every leader and every mayor and every governor of every town got together and decided to decorate their towns the exact same way for Christmas. I think this because every small town USA seems to decorate their town the same way. You can walk down Main Street and see the same things. Plastic decals on storefront windows of Santa Claus guiding his reindeer through the North Pole. You can see the decals which read joy to the world or peace on earth and goodwill to men and of course the tinny wreaths which hang on the street lights and the wooden Santa Claus life size which is strung over Main Street with the steel cable our Santa Claus was a was a sight to see he'd seen better days Rudolph had missing antlers and missing hooves, and for his nose, a baseball which had been painted red. It was unnaturally large for Rudolph's face. He looked like he'd sniffed around a beehive. (laughs) Santa Claus himself was no day at the beach. His left hand was extended 
and a wave, a greeting toward pacifiers, except Vandals had removed all of his fingers except for the middle finger. People who were driving past Main Street could look up through their windshield and see Santa Claus with a bad case of road rage. <laughs> I remember the Christmas that Alice Dawson was home. She'd come home during the summer, summer vacation, and she'd never gone back to school when the fall semester began. Rumor had it that she'd quit college. And there must have been something wrong, we thought, because she was just about as low as she had ever been before. Alice Dawson was seven years older than the rest of us, and we were all in love with her, us boys. We were in love with her because she was beautiful, but she was more than that. She was an athlete, a student. She played music and sang with the voice of a canary. She could jump horses, and we had even seen her cram more red man chewing tobacco in her mouth than any boy in the Tri-County area. And she could do it and not get sick. But she was a restless girl, and we all knew that about her. She couldn't wait to get out of town, and we knew that one day she would leave. She would grow up, and she would be successful because that's the kind of girl she was. A tough girl, a driven girl, a good student. She could run faster, she could throw harder, she could spit further than any proper boy. And she quit college. It didn't make any sense. During the summer, we wondered what had happened. She had a softball scholarship and the scouts used to come to her games and they would just marvel at how she could play shortstop or first base or third base or pitcher seamlessly moving between positions just like a major league pro. She was going to go on and do big things with her life. How does a girl quit? And that's what the old men said in the breakfast joints when they talked about people in town. How does a girl, a beautiful girl, with her future ahead of her, quit? Even the old men loved Alice. Her mother was a good woman. She sang in the Methodist Church Choir, and her father worked at the pulp mill, and they made Alice become a part of the church, and she was. Since she was home from college, she sang in the church choir every Sunday. She sang so pretty that Arnold, the music minister, asked her to sing a special song for service just about every Sunday. She did this all the way up into the Christmas season. She stood in the sanctuary and she would sing songs like Savior like a shepherd lead thee. And during the Christmas season she would sing Away in a Manger and she seemed to know all the verses, even the hard to remember verses like the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. With liberty and justice for all, stick a feather in his hat and call it macaroni from sea to shining sea. She was an umpire for our Little League baseball games. And us boys had a hard time focusing on the game because she was there standing over us during each at-bat. Chad, our catcher, 
could not concentrate whatsoever. He could not pay attention to the game because she was standing right over him. And Chad could smell her shampoo. Chad called a huddle. And he said, guys, guys, do I stink? No, Billy, our pitcher, said. Now let's get back to the game. But, but, but I don't want to stink, guys. I don't want to stink, said Chad. You baby, we're in the middle of a baseball game. And then Alice called things back to order by clapping her hands and telling us to get on the ball. And the next game, Chad showed up wearing so much damn cologne, he aggravated Zachary's asthma in the dugout. People said she didn't seem like herself. We wondered what was wrong with her. She'd been quiet since she came home. She didn't spend time with any girlfriends, and you could ride past her home every day just around the afternoon, and you could see the light to her room would be on, and you knew she was back there. She just didn't seem as social as she'd once been, but by Christmas, the truth had come out because that's how it works in small communities. The truth can't stay buried for long. People see you. They see you, and they're watching. A bump began to show in Alice's midsection. The first one to really take note of this was Nadine Turtlemeyer. She made a remark to Alice in the church lobby after things were settling down. And that was the last time Alice was seen in church for a while. Her belly got so big she was walking like a duck with her feet splayed outward. And when people saw her around town, they realized she hadn't gone back to college because of a baby. She really came out of that house, not even during the Christmas season. She was afraid they would talk about her. She was afraid she'd be the butt end of every joke. It was two weeks before Christmas that Arnold the Methodist music minister got sick. He got bronchitis, a bad chest infection, which had landed him in the five-room hospital. The first call he made was to Alice. He asked her if she would lead the singing at the Methodist church for Sunday. She said, oh, no, I just don't think I could. He said, Alice, please, please, we have nobody else. And in fact, that was true. They had nobody else who could sing with the same fervor that Alice sang. Her voice truly was a gift. He offered to pay her $100. She agreed. She showed up early that Sunday morning. She had her songs memorized, and she stood before the Methodist congregation with that large, round belly, and she sang. She sang Christmas songs. She did this two weeks in a row. She sang a total of six Christmas hymns each service, and people remarked they had never heard a more lovely voice. Our catcher, Chad, attended service for the very first time in his life. He wore neckties, and he smelled so strong of cologne that he made Meredith Woods, who was sitting in the pew behind him, sick to her stomach. Her husband, Harold, had to take her outside. The pastor took the pulpit after her, and he read a story. It was a familiar story. 
story about a pregnant 14-year-old in the book of Matthew. You might have heard it. They were riding into a town, she and her husband. She had a baby inside her that nobody knew where it had come from. She felt ashamed. But wise men came after this baby was born. And shepherds knelt down before this child. Wise men had delivered gifts. Alice finished the service by singing more Christmas songs. And the congregation didn't even sing with her, at least not very strong. They just didn't want to drown out the sound of that majestic angel voice that Alice had. Alice gave birth. And it was right in the living room den. It was Doc Stewart who gave birth to the baby. They called him as soon as she had her first contractions. They asked if they should bring her to the hospital, her mother and father asked. But Doc Stewart said, no, no, I just got off. I'm, I'm on my way to you. Doc Stewart had birthed hundreds of babies, mainly out in the rural areas, the communities around the town. Once I asked Doc Stewart about what it was like to deliver a baby, he said, have you ever seen a hog killing son? I said, well, no, I don't guess I have. He said, well, that's what the room looks like when a baby's been delivered. He delivered a little boy, six pounds and seven ounces. She hadn't had enough time to really hold the boy because Doc Stewart was too busy holding it and passing it around to her mother and her father. Oh, it was a magnificent baby, beautiful. Things started showing up on Alice's mother's front porch the very same night. Like I said, word gets out in a small community. Casseroles and tins covered in full. There were boxes of diapers, baby formula, garbage bags of baby clothes. The Robertsons had bought an old crib. They'd assembled it and they delivered it on the porch. There were toys. There were bottles. Someone even had the audacity to bring cases of beer. <laughs> they say that that very night, the Methodist choir assembled themselves outside Alice's room, and they were dressed in their 19th century frock coats, top hats, and bonnets in front of Alice's room. That Christmas came and went. And that year, I remember it well. I got a transistor radio and a pair of underpants. <laughs> I don't know why my mother insisted on buying things like underpants and khakis and button-down shirts for Christmas. I'd just as soon get a box full of rocks and underpants for Christmas. But that's how she did things. My buddy Chad got a new bicycle with tassels on the handlebars. By the middle of the day, he'd already put bicycle cards on the spokes. Alice got a job at a supermarket after Christmas. She worked there for a long time while she raised her son. I saw her a few weeks ago. She looked happy. She doesn't seem like the girl who couldn't wait to get out of town anymore. She still sings in the Methodist choir. 
And she's still ambitious. You can see it in her eyes and you can hear it in her voice when you talk to her. She's still thinking of doing something like starting her own bakery business or her own restaurant. She's even got the word from a few investors who are encouraging her to do it. She's still an athlete. She still umpires for the Little League and the Babe Ruth Leagues. And I'll bet she still makes the boys nervous with the smell of her shampoo. I'm not lying when I tell you that we're all proud of her. And we're proud of her son. We're even more proud because just last week, just before we go into the new Christmas season, Alice just finished college. You can see her this Sunday. She'll be leading the music at the Methodist Church. Thanks for listening to Shaun of the South. I've been your host, Shaun Dietrich, and it has been a pleasure. Hope you join us next week. That music you hear behind me is the Red Cedar Review, straight from Charleston, South Carolina, led by Aaron Firetag and Brad Edwardson. To find out anything more about them, you visit Red Cedar Review on Facebook. And to find out anything more about what I do, you can visit shaunofthesouth.com. Drop me a line. I love to hear from my friends. And friends, if you're going to do something tonight, you're going to regret tomorrow morning. Sleep in. Adios.